everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father, Rabbi Avi Harwitz, and myself, Ayelet, in our Bible-inspired conversation based on the weekly Torah portion. Our hope is to glean timeless Torah values to help us navigate the confusing world we live in today, as well as give us something to think about. This podcast is relevant for everybody and anybody, no matter your religious background. So with no further ado, let's get talking, let's get thinking, and let's get started. Hello and welcome, everybody. It's a new day, it's a new week, and it's a new name for our podcast. Woo! Welcome to The Father, The Daughter, and The Holy Podcast, formerly known as Something to Think About Over the Weekends, but now it's bigger and better. So there. <laughs> welcome, welcome, everybody. I'm Ayala, and I'm with my father, Avi, and we are ready to jump into this week's topic. So this week's topic is, again, one of those topics that's just oozes all over the weekly portion in the Bible that we read um, in Jewish communities around the world. Ours is called Toldot, and the issue is favoritism. Favoritism. Favoritism um, is not a word that conjures up feelings of equality or egalitarian uh, spirit. It seems just unfair. Favoritism looks unfair, actually. Someone is being favored over another. It supposes a bunch of things um, that make it feel and look unfair, and those are the things that we want to explain today. There are family favorites, there are student favorites, and societal favorites. There are even an idea, let's say, of national favoritism, where in all of these cases, someone is being singled out for special treatment, and it just doesn't look fair. Now, what could anybody say about that? I mean, there are studies done um, that show that children, amongst other siblings that have felt to be um, actually those that uh, were kind of on the bottom of the heap, um, suffer from self-esteem issues for the rest of their life. Does that always apply? I mean, what kind of cases, if we look between the lines in those studies, perhaps we'll find something a little bit more nuanced and sophisticated than just saying it was all about favoritism. So that's the today's invitation. Let's talk about favoritism. Ayala, do you know why we're going to be talking about favoritism based on this week's reading? Well, in, in this week's reading, we have the scene of our patriarch, Yitzhak, um, who wants to give his uh, firstborn child, Esav, a blessing, which seems to be a really awesome blessing. And it's a good, good place, good, good blessing to get. And there is his wife, our matriarch Rifka, who wants to give her son, her youngest son, Yaakov, the blessing. And there seems to be this almost power struggle of who's going to get whose favorite kid to get the blessing. And this, this is going to be the first of many other of Bible readings where we see parents picking favorites, or at least what seems to be picking favorites. So mm, Family favorites. So <clears throat> it's actually pretty explicit. It says, Yitzchak, you know, the, the, the father loves a particular son, and the mother, Rivka, loves another son. And we're left with wondering, how come the Bible, the Torah, is not more critical about this type of behavior? It, the truth of the matter is, if we step back and we look forward in the readings, we'll see that it's ha happening pretty much since the beginning of time. There's 
Cain and Hevel, the two, you know, almost prehistoric children of Adam, of Adam Arishon, who do um, make gestures towards God, and God seems to favor one over the other. There's all kinds of harsh judgments that uh, go on in, in families. There, Yishmael and Yitzhak are actually um, two sons of Abraham, and Yishmael kind of gets jolted out of the house, and uh, Yitzhak remains the heir of the Abrahamic um, tradition. And the same thing happens with Esav and Yaakov, where Esav um, also just doesn't cut the mustard. And then we have the famous infighting amongst the tribes, what's called the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, where Joseph seems to be favored by his father, and the brothers just don't take very well to that. And that creates a tremendously unfortunate scene where um, they almost commit fratricide. Instead, they sell them into slavery. So we're chill. <laughs> we are good. They we didn't just, kill them. They just sold, sold them. them into slavery. It, how do we deal with this issue of favoritism? Let, let's see if we could take it apart a little bit. So if we go back to all of our cases of favoritism, family favorites, student feels like, oh, you know, this student is just, you know, the apple of the eye of the teachers. Um, in societies, there's all kinds of uh, feelings that certain groups feel discriminated vis-a-vis -vis other groups. There are certain nations that feel that they're just more special than others. Really, I want to distinguish between those types of feelings, because when we talk about favoritism, that seems unfair, that looks unfair, just feels unfair. It supposes that there's a higher authority figure, or a more influential figure at least, that's involved. Because if we're not talking about some higher figure, be it a government, be it a parent, be it a teacher or an administration, then for one nation, for example, to consider themselves special or favorites or chosen or chosen, that really is not going to matter much to anyone. I mean, people can say whatever they want. It only uh, makes a difference when they're all vying over the same piece of pie. So if there's a power figure or an influential figure who's in charge of the good that needs to be dealt out and the um, his or her or its opinion really matters, so if that opinion is swayed or it looks favorably in one direction, it looks like things are really unfair because it affects everyone underneath their sphere of influence. Okay, so, so that's an important point. I just want to make that clear. We're talking then that favoritism really only comes into play when there is a higher up figure that is doling out reward and punishment. And therefore, the choosing of someone will benefit that person and put in a disadvantage everybody else. Because if there isn't a higher up figure who's giving out good or lack of good, then it doesn't matter who calls themselves what, because in essence, it doesn't even matter. Right. I mean, two brothers could say, you know, uh, oh, you think such a hard shot, you know, you know, pop you in the nose. They're really only doing that because they're not really contesting each other's existence in a vacuum. They are vying for power under the structure of family, where there are parents, generally speaking. I think it would be an interesting study to, to wonder if children growing up as orphans who really don't have much structure, let's say they don't, would they, you know, you know, be at each other's throats like brothers or sisters that are, you know, grow up within a family? I would say no. I have never never looked it up or, or, or really seen any studies about that. But I would I would bet that no, because I think that the the feeling of jealousy 
and the feeling of like I'm uh, I gotta watch my uh, for my own uh, interests is because there's a certain feeling of like there's only so much good to go around, and if I don't line up in the right place, very close to the front, I'm not gonna get what's coming to me. It could even be love and attention. You know, parents can only love and give attention um, up to a point. So if there is a uh, if there's a limit on on the good, so then uh, individuals start feeling like um, I need to get a fair shake. And if I'm feeling that there's a favorite out there, and I'm feeling that for some reason I'm getting um, I'm not getting a fair shake, so then I'm going to be worried about it. But if it's like I said, in a vacuum, that's not going to exist. So that's an important point. That's a very important point because it's just always, there's a lot of assumptions already within that uh, feeling of, hey, this really looks unfair because it's already assuming that the good that's to be given out is somewhat limited and I need to really compete. Like for example, in this case that you mentioned, there's this blessing, right? That the patriarchs were giving to their children. Now, what does it mean to not get the blessing? Which is interesting. Even though Jacob eventually gets the blessing, but we see that when Esau, his brother, comes for a blessing, he also kind of gets a blessing. Right. So it's not like blessing. It's not like blessing is like uh, it's something that you can put a number to or a limit on. I mean. The, there's blessing. There's, if it's especially if you're talking about a God-centered world, God's blessing has no limits to it. it. It has a lot to do with the perspective of man. Man assumes right away that there's a limit to what the good could be, and if the good is being doled out, I have to make sure that I get my share that's at least equal to the next person. Because if that person gets more, it's already unfair because that means by definition I'm going to be getting less. Mm. Which is very human because the 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 thought that there is infinite goodness or infinite blessing is is not a thought that comes naturally to man, which is why we lots of times call it faith. Right. Well, we're, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're talking about like, you know, God, spiritual world, where in that sense, you know, we would agree. I, I think, you know, when you're talking about those people who, who are looking at something that really does have limits to it, so then that's really what we're talking about. I mean, you know, people within a government, let's say, they say, well, uh, the government benefits have uh, a limit to it, right? They can't give out, you know, give handouts to, to everybody. So the question is, who gets those handouts, right? Who gets help from the government? Let's say you're in a government where it clearly discriminates against a particular group. So, so of course, you know, you're going to rightly say there's favoritism going on here. So we have to explain what's the difference between that favoritism and the feeling of favoritism that's not, that we could at least justify and say that it, it has a purpose to it. And it's it actually creates uh, perhaps a better family, a better society. Um, that's that's what we're after, after here today. Okay, so that's also an important point. There's there's favoritism and there's favoritism. There's favoritism that destroys and, and favoritism that builds. Right, right, right. So the first thing is that the first, the first um, presumption is that when there's a feeling of unfair um, play, that means that there's a, an assumption that there's some figure who's doling out the good, you know, and that needs to be fair. And right away, there, it creates a certain sense of competition and a feeling of like, if there's favoritism, things just aren't going to um, trickle down the way they need to. Okay, then there's the second um, assumption that um, the playing favorite behavior is arbitrary. 
In other words, um, when there's a feeling that things are arbitrarily being decided, then there's a feeling along with it of instability. In other words, I don't even know why it is that this person is getting you know, a favorite status. What, what can I do to be the favorite myself? I don't know. So if it's, if it's indiscriminate, if it's arbitrary, the, the feeling of unfair, the feeling of like, this is no good, favoritism is no good, is because there's a unstable, uncommunicated arbitrariness that's, that's, that's being somewhatly, you know, somewhat subtly communicated from, from whoever it is, let's say this figure, this higher figure, or this imagined figure or government or whatever it is, that is not explicitly saying why one part of the population or part of the family is getting certain uh, treatment, whereas the other is not getting that treatment. So that creates instability. Okay, so meaning this the second example has to do with lack of clarity on what is being favored. So because why, 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 who is being favored and why? So, so that plays into the, the same point. In other words, uh, let's say let's say it's merit based, right? There's two general types of giving out the good. How do you give out? How do you um, distribute the good, right? So it's either merit based or it's equal share distribution, right? It basically means everybody gets the same no matter what. Or it's based on merit. So the feeling amongst those that are really worried about favoritism and feeling that it's, life is unfair because of this favoritism are, are saying, yeah, okay, great, it's merit-based, and maybe I don't have those merits, but the results of those merits is also somewhat arbitrary. Why does this recompense have to do with what it is that they're doing? Or people don't feel, well, just because this particular student um, you know, is doing really well in uh, in track and field. Why does that mean that they get to go, you know, on an extra field trip with it? You know, they don't or get a scholarship. Or get a, yeah, they don't see like why. You know, why? Why is that? Especially if you're if you're at a position if you're in a position of you know making a, an effort to try to you know get those merits or you know create um, you know better yourself and try to do as the other student is doing. You don't get there. You're you're kind of wondering like why all my effort is not worth as much as the success of this other particular person. And all of a sudden they get rewarded in some way that I don't see how that matches. Why is that fair? Why is my effort not rewarded in the same way as this person who actually gets to that particular you know, goal? So, so again, what we're saying is, is that the, the playing favorite behavior creates this instability and this feeling of unfairness in those looking on and feeling you know, that they're being somewhat discriminated because they feel somewhat arbitrary. There's a feeling of like an arbitrariness. It doesn't, you know, the contrary would be like, it's all clear. Everyone can see what's going on and why it's going on. But when that doesn't happen, it just seems arbitrary. Meaning when there's not an eye, there's not an eye to eye understanding of why X behavior deserves Y result. Right, so especially if it's not merit-based, if it's just is, because all of a sudden, you know, a teacher favorites a particular student or a particular parent you know, with a child, or all of a sudden there's a certain part of the population that just is, you know, we've seen many times in history, where just parts of the population were just favored, they had favored status. And other parts of the population, including especially, you know, our history as Jewish people is just marked with, you just had a second class citizenship just because, for whatever reason, for whatever reason was used. But the point is, is that it just seemed um, totally unfair, because it was arbitrary, and the rules changed all the time. So the question is, um, 
when does it escape this, you know, this feeling of unfairness and this, and we can look at this and we can say, yeah, this really isn't fair. I mean, this is favoritism and favoritism gets a bad rap. It's like nepotism. You know, you're just favoring family because they're your family. So that doesn't seem fair. Question is, is there any way to look at it in a different way so that we could see the merits perhaps of this, this idea of, of when, it, when playing favorites is actually a good thing, perhaps. I, I just, nepotism, to be clear then, is, is, is the favoring of family. Yes. Okay, so we're going to go there. But the first thing that comes to my mind is context. I'm saying, I think there's a place where family comes first. And I think a lot of people would agree to that. Yeah, the, there, is a, there is an interesting book that I, I was reading. It's called um, Against Fairness by Stephen Asma, Columbia College of Chicago. And as the title uh, actually pretty much communicates, he, he believes that contemporary Americans tend to think of morality as a set of rules rather than as virtues or modes of character. He, he basically says that, um, for example, when it comes to nepotism, certain virtues can thrive in like non-egalitarian contexts, like loyalty. Loyalty is something that's like created through like tribal, so to speak, what he calls tribal relationships. You know, everyone has a circle of favorites. And we mutually protect each other, even when these devotion uh, these devotions disadvantages us personally. The thing is, people develop loyalty and generosity, which are very important virtues, based on their preferences to family, let's say, or the tribe. And they are fostered in such contexts, right? Even though it doesn't seem fair. So you can say. Um, well, it's just, you know, what would one family look at another family and say, oh, you know, that particular, you know, head of the family there, he's got so much money. How come he doesn't share some of that money with all of us? I mean, we just have, we have the same needs, if not more great our needs um, than, than the ones uh, that are in his particular family. So how, why is it that he's favoring his family? I don't think anybody would say that because people realize that there's a favoritism that's at, that's at work, which is somewhat natural. It's your own circle. It's your own family. When it comes to your own, your own, there is a feeling of like more of a, um, a kinship. Because that is so, but, uh, let's say more positive feelings run through you to do what you can for those people. So what, what I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but I'm starting from there because... The, the basic argument also of this particular book is that fairness, what we call fairness, really does not give a full treatment of all of human virtue. When you say things should be fair, that doesn't leave a lot of room for the development of human virtue. Because when you keep the rules that everything's fair, a lot of times actually things that people can develop are actually left aside. And the truth of the matter is, is that the only thing, as we like we said, the only thing that's unfair is when it's arbitrary. But when it's not arbitrary, then we can say that it's just, right? So, in in though in the example of a, of a father of the family or head of a tribe prioritizing his tribe or his family, would that be considered something arbitrary or something just? It's the way we were created, so it's just. I don't think anybody could argue that if a child of a particular person needs help, it would be understood that that person with limited resources is going to help his own child and not going to help another child. If he would, 
if he would not give the proper attention to his own child and instead he would shower it on some other child, we would actually look at him and say, what's got into you? You are mixing up your priorities. Right, like the classic example of someone who does a lot of community work but ignores his responsibilities at home. Exactly. So, again, if, if, you, if you look at it from that way, you're not going to say, oh, this is, this is unfair. You're going to say, that's not arbitrary and it's just. Now, you're going to say, well, why weren't we created to care about everyone the same way? Well, that's a, you know, you can ask that to the philosophers. <clears throat> but ultimately, it's not arbitrary. The kinship and the bond that exists between, let's say, family is not something you can really question and ask, well, why, you know, the loyalty and the, the givingness, you know, to them versus anyone else. It's just, that's nature. It's, it's very instinctive, even. I'm saying it's, it's about survival. So you always, from animal kingdom to the humans, it's, it's always about survival, making sure that yours are, are good and fed and okay, and they will make it. And they will survive and they'll be prosperous and right it's more it's definitely what we can say is it's definitely more natural and to ignore the natural urge to help your own you're actually um going against um what is most basic and therefore normally people that do that won't really be um the greatest givers that they can even towards others it, it's like a concentric circles very fascinating. It, the circles start from the inside and they emanate out. So when a person takes care and dotes and um, is generous to those that surround uh, a, a person, then a person can emanate outward. But if a person doesn't you take that goodness that he has and give it to those that are closest and more um, naturally the recipients of his goodness, then his concentric circles ultimately will be limited. He creates limits within his own giving which will then obviously create difficulty to give generously outside of the circles. Right. It's such a, that's such a coaching idea. It's like when we talk about self-care, a lot of people say self-care is not a, not something that we do. It's not good. And, but it's, it's always about understanding that if you can't be generous with yourself, there's going to be a limit to how generous you can be with other people. Right. Exactly. Um, one day I would like to return to that. Uh, there's a lot to talk about there about the relationship, you know, with yourself. Because a lot of times that comes across as sounding selfish. Yeah, so one of the bigger arguments <clears throat> out there against taking care of yourself and your needs. Well, but there's also a balance because you don't want to be someone who's totally self-centered. So there's definitely a balance there and we'll, we'll talk about it. Right, so what we want to get back to over here is that when, when there's an arbitrariness or there's a feeling of arbitrary deciding and, and favoritism, so then it feels that it's not just, but it, if a person sees that it's not arbitrary, then it should also not feel that it's unjust and unfair. There's another issue. There's another actually concept that I'd like to attach to this, which is that the, this is, I think, the true understanding of the idea of roles, which is so important for us in today's society, which says that basically roles are established on a non-arbitrary designation according to a person's um, capacity, a person, according to a person's ability to fulfill X, Y, Z role. So, if if a person says, um, when we look at the Bible, we're not really looking at a an arbitrary selection process. We're looking at a fair process. Um, the, you know, human nature set aside for a second. Of course, there's always going to be 
um, you know, projections within families. Sometimes parents see more of themselves in certain children or people affiliate with other people more because they, they seem more similar to themselves. But besides that, which is a little bit too arbitrary to make it sound fair, uh, there is a, there's an honest struggle to try to find the right person for the right place in life, for the right role. And ultimately, uh, the Bible, the Torah, is trying to tell us the narrative where these heroes of, of the Spirit were trying to find the correct heirs, and they were trying to find the right people to give over their legacy to. And if you have a very important legacy, let's say you're a... Um, um, Let's say you're Warren Buffett, and you know you want you have principles and a lot of resources that you want to make sure it gets into the right hands. Uh, all that billions of dollars, assuming he's going to even have it by the time he uh, goes to the next world, um, you want to make sure that it's in the right hands. You want, you want to make sure that all that responsibility and all of that goodness that you have to give out to others is going to be used for the right purposes. Not everyone can step up to that plate. No one could say, oh. Why didn't he just give it out evenly and, you know, let it whittle away? If he takes his legacy seriously, he wants to make sure that he gets the, you know, he wants to maximize on all of his work and whatever's important to him in life. So we think about this legacy that in the, in the figures and the, the heroes of the Torah are actually giving over and they're being entrusted to give over this sometimes called the blessing. It's, it's really the, the, the struggle to, right, to find the right person for the right place. And that's really what's going on with the brothers of Esau, and that was going on with the, the struggle amongst the brothers of Yosef as well, where there was a struggle. And unfortunately, in that case of Yaakov, it, it probably wasn't communicated well enough what Yaakov's intention was by showing some sort of favoritism to, towards his son, Joseph. It was, it was uh, misinterpreted. But ultimately... Um, when there seems that it's not, when there seems that there's actual reasons and it's not arbitrary, there is a feeling of, oh, okay, I guess this is the right person for the right for that role. A person can, of course, always have those feelings of, uh, I guess, resentment. Resentment, exactly. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to uh, hang on that cross. You want to be able to get past it and say, well, I guess the person in charge here was looking for the right person. Let's say the army. The person gets ahead in the army. Um, you assume that the army is looking for the right person to take that whatever role it is that they are just promoted this particular soldier to be in. Not going to say, "Oh, there's favoritism going on." I mean, the army is a very serious job to do. You have to make sure that the right people are are in, in the right positions. So, if you take that even further, we should really, you know, unless there's a, an incredible amount of distrust, and of course, we're not. Um, saying that it's impossible to imagine cases of simple, plain old discrimination. There, there is, there's plenty of discrimination out there. And that's, I think, what really the Gemara calls sinat chinam. That's just baseless hatred. It's, it's discriminating because of some arbitrary reason. But when the reasons are not arbitrary, and you can actually challenge somebody and say, you know, this particular group of people is not getting ahead, or this particular group of people is not getting their share of the pie of the goodness that's offered in this country or in this family or in this school. And it can be explained because they're just not fulfilling or they're not um, uh, complying with a certain criteria that, that the school, the family, the, the country is looking for in order to be able to entrust them with a certain amount of the good that they want to give. It's not arbitrary. Ultimately, it's, it's not a favoritism that's just 
just it is baseless it's it's based on something it's like the little story um not the little story the story i remember when i was little called the little red hen i love that story you loved it (laughs) i loved it it was so fair i loved it well there's a part to the story for all you that never heard the story it's a basic it's, it's a very simple child story where a hen offers all of the you know the, the animals the possibility to help her do all the processes of uh, of uh, cutting the weeds and basically to make bread. But in order to make the bread, you have to start all the way from the beginning and you have cut to the plant weed and, and cut shell the weed, it, right? and then you have to bake it, and, each... and then it's finally ready. Right. And Wait. she says, "Who wants to eat it with me?" And suddenly everyone's going, "Me, me, me!" Wait, but wait a second. I love this. But in every part of the, every part of the process, she says, "Okay, who wants to help do this?" And all the friends say, "No, I don't have time." And you know, not me. Not me. I'm not me. And you know, and when it comes to you know helping eat the bread, so then of course all of the friends chime in that they you know would just love to eat the bread, thinking that they're doing her a great favor by eating the bread. And then she responds, "Well, I'm going to eat it all by myself." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's funny because there is a tinge when you look at that story. You know, there was this part of me as I guess as a kid was like, you know, why couldn't she just share it? You know, why couldn't she just share it? Like, what? What's the point? What's what's the real point of the story? So you could you could say that she was just trying to make a point, right? Then, and that's what the author is trying to say. Or you can say that the story is trying to teach children that there are consequences to our actions. You can't just um, make all kinds of decisions and then make believe that you didn't make those decisions. Mm, that's huge. If you didn't participate in something, so then in the in the in the in a, in a justful, righteous way of looking at it, you can say, well, okay, I guess you didn't want to participate, and, and therefore you have no stake or you have any share in the product. So, and you were and you knew that all along that if you weren't going to participate then there was no reason to expect that you were going to get the fruits of the, you know, of the work of the labor of somebody else. You understand? Mm. But so, you can't expect it. You, you know what I'm saying? So when people make, take decisions about not getting ahead or they say, you know, I'm going to, I want to, I want to take it easy. You know, I want to be the soldier that just takes it easy. I don't, I don't want to be the one that's always helping and always out there and always, you know, uh, the first one, volunteering i'm not going to be the student that's going to be doing the extra work i'm not okay so then when when a person shirks the, their basic responsibilities or even they didn't the extra they, responsibility right. it's not about shirking what the well, basic, about isn't basic but it's it's but it's more about now what we do and don't do have consequences so it seems to be that you're saying that one of the reasons a lot of us feel that things aren't fair is because we go ahead in life with the expectation that even though we don't do the work, we should still get the benefit. Because of equal share distribution. Basically, the belief that... That the hen should have shared the bread just because she should have. She was the giver, right? She was the benefactor. She was the government. She was the parent. She was the teacher who has the right to decide how they give out whatever it is that they have, the goodness that they have. So why not give it out evenly? Okay, there are those that didn't try, the you know, but ultimately the book and really what we're trying to express is that we are all responsible for our own decisions. And if a person feels that they can make decisions and then ignore their decisions, the person doesn't end up, you know, being in a very good place either. Even in the short run, maybe they have, you know, some bread, like delicious bread from the hen, but in the, in the long run, 
they are going to continue um, running away from responsibility and making the right decisions in order to really be a shareholder in whatever the goodness is that the world has to offer. I mean, they'll always be takers as opposed to givers. You know, even amongst parents, you know, the, the study that was mentioned before that creates, seems to create a sense of um, <clears throat> low self-esteem in children when they feel that there's favoritism. That's only when the favoritism is, the same studies say, it, it's only when it's a problem that happens regularly and consists of groundless differences in the treatment of children. But, but when they're not groundless, um, then it's, a, it's an important lesson that we need to learn. But ultimately, um, he who something, something gets the bone, right? I forgot that saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from your generation. I don't yeah. know that saying. <laughs> the point is, is that that's exactly the, that, uh, that message. And it's such a simple idea. And when you look at it in the, in the Torah's perspective, it's repeated over and over again. When you look at it, you know, with an unsophisticated eye, you think it's just like a script that had to be, you know, because there were certain favorites in the world. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you read it as a mature adult, you, you start realizing that these are a series of decisions that people took that ultimately determined their fate. And that's the roles that they decided to take on for themselves. And those are the roles that they were given or not given as a result. I'm thinking about the the saying in, in the Bible, which is, according to the effort is the reward. Right. Exactly. Now, um, when we apply it to the society that we live in, it, it would seem that this is like an open and shut you know, argument. But unfortunately, it's not. And we see over and over that um, there's just this feeling of like, we want something for nothing. We want something for nothing. And one of the one of the very positive aspects of uh, the American society, in particular, was the idea of the work ethic. That you know, you you have all the liberty and the freedom to work at what it is that you want and what you want to excel at, and how you want to create and uh, generate things for yourself and for others, and work and and, and work for others or work for yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and you can reap the fruits of uh, of your labor. When, when, uh, and there, are, of course, there are rules to the game. And when people don't play with those rules, and when people, certain parts of society say, like, uh, we want equal share distribution, even though the decisions that they're making do not make them shareholders in that good, in that general good, you know, the good that's coming from this government, which is like the higher figure or the higher authority, they're thinking that it's all about favoritism or some other ism some other discrimination, whereas a lot of times it just has to do with their own decisions. Hmm. Yes, but how do you broach the topic then of um, when it's, when the person cannot take part as you're, what you're calling a shareholder, not because they don't want to put in the effort, but because something something was put into place which makes it, which makes them unable to take part, whether it's lack of education, whether it's so that's a great lack point. of resources, how do we how do we take that into consideration? So that's a great point, and that's why social justice in our tradition is called just that, social justice, because um, tzedakah, the word for charity in the Torah, is comes from the same word as tzedek, which is justice. 
So if a person is actually unable to, to contribute and to do whatever it is that they um, think that they can because they're just simply, um, it's out of their control, they, they have, they're impaired or whatever it is that um, makes them unable to, to, to do and to be self-sustaining. So um, it, it becomes um, incumbent on others to practice social justice, which is now we need to take care of this person because they're part of our society. And just like a person would take care of a family member in that case, um, we are asked to be of that same sense of loyalty, like we were talking before, and generosity towards the general public, right, as well. Of course, not to the same degree as you went to a family member who's in need, but assuming family members are not in need and you can be generous with others. Or maybe you have family members who are in need, but you can also give something else, you know, more to someone else. So that idea is called social justice um, because it's just to give those who really can't because they can't. It's not, it's not their decision that they're making to um, not participate. They're not participating just because it's simply out of their control. So I, let's just clarify then the points and then wrap it up. We're saying then that favoritism has two aspects. There's favoritism that is arbitrary and that breeds a lot of negativity and resentment. And it's where there's a higher power that is distributing good based on unknown, unclear um, goals or objectives. And there's, there's gonna be, it's limited resource and people need to compete for that, for that pie. And then there's the, um, and then there's the favoritism that has to do with roles, and it has to do with your capability and ability to do things, and then your effort and uh, consequently choice to follow through with that, which will then bear just and and just fruit. You reap you reap what you sow. We're saying that those are the two aspects that we're talking about in terms of um, favoritism. Mm-hmm. I keep blinking on the word, and. Um, now we just quickly just uh, tapped on the subject on for the people who actually can't, not not that they're not willing to put in the effort or, or make the choice, but there are external factors that don't allow them to move forward and to put in the effort. In that case, we are called upon as, as a nation, as a family, as a group, as a society to do justice with our, with our fellow man and um, help them be able to do what it is that they can do in order to get involved. So with that, Be blessed, everybody. Have a lovely weekend and see you next week on another episode of The Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Be blessed, everybody.